Axiopod, a weekly podcast brought to you by Axiometrics Incorporated, the U.S. leader in apartment market research. Expect excellent commentary and informative interviews on the rapidly changing U.S. apartment market. Hi, and welcome to Axiopod. I'm Dave Sorter. Today, we're going to get a little bit into politics. No, not that kind of politics, but uh, what's happening with legislation at the federal and state level that may affect the apartment industry. With me is Greg Brown, Senior Vice President for Government Affairs for the National Apartment Association. Greg, welcome to Axiopod, and thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on, Dave. Greg, what kind of legislation do you see being proposed at the state and national level this year that could affect apartment owners, managers, investors, developers? Just a general broad question to start out with. Sure. Uh, At the state and local level, uh, the kind of issues that we're looking at this year are uh, resident screening uh, proposals. uh, Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean uh, proposals to restrict the way in which owners are able to screen prospective tenants. Uh We have a number of proposals around inclusionary zoning or other requirements that developers include a certain number of affordable units and new developments that they produce. Right. And we also have source of income protection, which is essentially mandating uh, that an owner accepts Section 8 vouchers. Or put another way, they're not able to uh, reject a prospective resident because they have a federal uh, housing sub- subsidy in the form of Section 8. At the federal level, I, I actually think we're, we're, we're able to do more things on offense this year uh, mm-hmm. than necessarily defense, and we have a couple of bills uh, related to Section 8 reform, uh, making the program more efficient for owners. Right. Uh, we, have a, we have some legislation trying to get at uh, some uh, litigation, some, some spurious li- litigation around Americans with Disability Act. Uh, mm-hmm. Essentially, we have some very litigious attorneys around the country that are creating lawsuits against owners of apartments as well as commercial property um, for the sole purpose of extracting money out of those owners and operators, not for any effort to uh, improve accessibility for the disabled or, anyway, or anywhere else. Really, so, what, what kind of, what, what are some of their claims in some of these, uh, in some of these lawsuits? Well, we call them drive-by lawsuits, and that's actually sort of a literal phrase because they're, they're literally looking for things like um, physical access barriers, failure to provide pool lifts, uh, certain uh, number of accessible parking spaces, mm. um, you know, curb cuts, uh, things that are, you know, I wouldn't call them superficial. Certainly they're, they're legitimate deficiencies if they're there, but the, the letters that are being sent to these owners are very unspecific, uh, very generalized, and very aggressive, and again, trying to um, essentially scare an owner into paying a certain amount of money to the to the attorney in order mm-hmm. to make the litigation go away as opposed to actually trying to see um, uh, the deficiency uh, sorted out. Right. So the bill that we are advancing would actually require that before that litigation could start, owners get 120 days to fix the deficiency. Mm, okay. Very good. Now, is the type of legislation that you mentioned at the state and, na- uh, state and local level is that usually targeted toward the apartment industry specifically, or you know, are they are they trying to restrict the whole investment and or real estate communities as a whole? Now, the three issues that I mentioned: source of income, resident screening, and inclusionary zoning, are all pretty specifically targeted at uh, rental yeah. housing, uh, because those all have to do. 
uh, with um, you know with the the process of of uh, leasing to to residents. Now, inclusionary zoning obviously gets into investment and developers as well as owner operators because mm-hmm. now you're talking about what is the you know what's the pro forma going to look like in a development when you have to set aside 20% of your units at a certain affordability level. How does that affect the overall deal and the investor and all the rest of that? So the the inclusionary zoning is a little broader, but still right. really in in the housing sector. And then source of income and resident screening are pretty specifically tied to apartments. Yeah. Um, on the resident screening, what uh, type of people are they trying to make sure have access? Well, you won't be surprised to hear that the, the push this year has really been on ex-offenders. Yeah. Um, and there are, uh, a co- there are a couple of bills in, in various states uh, around the country that try to get at some restrictions on, um, on that. Other things besides ex-offenders, uh, creditworthiness, uh, restricting the ability to use creditworthiness as a screening tool uh, uh-huh. when looking at a prospective tenant. Uh-huh. Um, so th- those are the kind of things that we have sort of in the mix this year. I see. Um, what difference, I mean, are there any differences between this year's legislation and those of, you know, the past two, three, four, five, ten years? You know, that's interesting. Uh, I think the focus on affordability is a, is definitely um, a change Mm-hmm. Um, you know, affordability in housing has always been an issue, but this year it seems to have really reached a pretty the, – the, the volume of, of bills and proposals both at the state and local level is increasing as the issue becomes more acute. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing some pretty significant affordability challenges in, in many markets around the country, and as a result, you see things like – uh, source of income protection and inclusionary zoning being proposed in order to try to increase the availability, or at least in the eyes of the, the sponsors of those bills, right. increase the supply of affordable housing locally. Right, and I sure, I'm sure people see how high rents have gone and are going, wait a minute, <laughs> some people are being yeah. totally priced out of the market, but still, yes, that, doesn't help the do. bo- that doesn't help the bottom line for investors and managers. <laughs> No, no, it doesn't. I think we, we continue to try to make the case to people that, you know, it's, it's really a supply-demand problem, and it's an income um, it's a, um, a income stagnation problem. And we, we need more supply in a lot of markets, certainly not every market, but in a lot of markets, if we could increase the supply of rental housing, you could get at that affordability challenge. But the yeah. other issue is that, you know, incomes as a whole are, are pretty stagnant for you know, the last five, ten years, and so that the gap between what someone has to pay and what they need to pay for housing is growing, and that's a problem that's sort of out of our realm of, of uh, being able to address. You know, based on, you know, on your comment about uh, more new supply will uh, lower rents, what do you think about activist groups such as that one in San Francisco, whose acronym I will not uh, say on a uh, family podcast, the Bay Area Residential Foundation or whatever it is, or Renters Foundation, what do you think about their activities? Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm actually not particularly familiar with that, that group, group's activities, but I know that, that local advocates are, are highly active right now in getting involved in land use decisions. Certainly NIMBYism is a problem as well. So when you mm-hmm. have, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. You have localities that are pushing, pushing, pushing for more affordable housing through these things like inclusionary zoning and source of income protection. But then you have the offsetting uh, force on the other side that doesn't want any more rental housing thus the not-in-my-backyard right. sort of uh, thing that's going on. And so that leaves our members in the middle. I mean, they would love to build more, but in some communities they work very hard to keep rental housing out or significantly restricted. And that just creates, uh, you know, that, that uh, makes the, the underlying problem even worse. So yeah. <laughs> um, 
no kidding. I, I worked in community newspapers for many, many years and uh, covered a lot of stories about apartment developers trying to come in and everybody acting like, you know, the plague was a plague of locusts was coming in. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it feels like sometimes, for sure. Are there certain states that seem to have more legislation of this type that you that you mentioned than others? Yeah. And you wouldn't be surprised to know they're the states that have some of the hottest markets in the country. California, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, Washington State because of the Seattle market, um, right. Illinois because of the Chicago market, and so on. New Jersey is another state where we see a lot of hmm. a lot of um, uh, this type of legislation, and and so it, it's really it's, it tends to be more tied to what the local market activity is like. Now, in the case of, for example, Nashville, uh, Tennessee, and Austin, Texas, those two saw a lot of activity in this area in this year and last year. Mm-hmm. Not two states where I would typically expect to see a lot of this, but it gets it's not really a state issue; it's a local issue, and it's Right. In fact, in, this, in Texas, the state reacted to what the city of Austin did in the area of source of income and sort of they passed legislation to knock out the proposal that Austin had put on the table mm-hmm. or the ordinance that Austin had passed. So, you know, there are certain states you would expect and then some which you don't always expect, but it's because of the local, a particular local market in that state. Yeah. And Texas did the same thing to the city of Denton um, in terms of fracking. Uh, by right. the gas industry, you know, Denton had passed an anti-fracking bill. The state said, "No, you don't." <laughs> so, yeah, that's right, and this, that, that, that's right. They do, they like to do that down there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to make a political comment here. Um, you know, what about student housing? Are there some states and localities you see seeking to pass legislation that would, would restrict the privately owned developments, or on the other hand, um, you know, are more states uh, willing to let their public universities universities uh, get into private public partnerships that you're seeing yeah we haven't I have not seen any legislation specifically restricting new student housing development that certainly doesn't mean that it's not out there I just haven't seen it myself I know that there's there is a tension you know you mentioned the public-private partnership certainly there's a, a lot of that that goes on which is great but there's also sometimes even some competition between universities and uh, the private market that right. we've seen in one or two places but it's really the conversation, frankly, on student housing, at least the, the, the really aggressive conversations tend to be more about how many students can live in a single-family home. And in mm-hmm. some markets, you know, our members are, they have those single-family homes as rental units, and so they get sort of pulled into that conversation. But I haven't seen specific bills that are, like, restricting the development of new student housing. Okay. I mean, without endorsing any party or candidates, and you kind of you sort of addressed this a little bit in a previous answer in a, the previous answer about the states that are doing this. Would the apartment industry, as a consensus, prefer the presidential and congressional elections go a certain way? You know, no. We we're uh, uh, we work with whomever is in charge. And so we don't endorse at the presidential level. Now, at the, con- at the congressional level, you know, we, we have a political action committee and we provide mm-hmm. political support to candidates. And so that is, by definition, an endorsement, I guess. Um, but it, we don't really, you know, uh, we, we work with whoever's in control and we build relationships on both sides of the aisle. And that make, makes us very effective. Not, ever, not all industries or industry groups do that, but we, we always strive to to um, make relationships and try to advance the cause of housing with whomever's uh, sitting in the big chair, so to speak. At the state and local levels and at the federal level, what what does the National Apartment Association do to support legislation that is friendly to the industry and oppose that which is unfriendly? Yeah, we you know we do uh, this sort of the same model for everything, which is we educate members of Congress and our affiliates, educate state legislators or city council members or mayors or whoever it might be. 
educate them on the issues that affect our industry, try to help them understand how we work. I mean, multifamily is a very complicated business, um, and there are a lot of moving parts. And, and frankly, you know, based on market research that we've done, not all policymakers really understand the complexities of what we do. So we, sure. we strive to do a lot of education, and that's on both sides. If it's a if it's an offensive issue that we're promoting a certain piece of legislation, well, then we're going to push that. If it's defense, then we're going to educate member uh, elected officials uh, at all levels about what the what the downside is, not just for our industry, but for their constituents, for their local economies, et cetera. And then ultimately, it's a it's a sort of a standard advocacy game, which is you deploy the the staff like myself and other members of our team, but then you also get the grassroots involved, and that's where the real difference is made on any issue. It's making sure that the people who actually do the work on the ground are involved in that advocacy effort. Right. I mean, how much of your guys' time is uh, spent, you know, kind of coaching and guiding the state and apartment, state and local apartment associations, your affiliates, as you said, to lobby, persuade their. Sorry, I used a bad term there to persuade the their legislatures and city councils to vote in favor of the uh, in favor of the apartment industry well we we do our role as we see it is to be sort of a back office for our affiliates all across the country provide them with all the information they need to be effective locally so uh, that means that we act as a as a sort of funnel and concentration point for all 167 of our affiliates and bring that experience and knowledge to bear in any one market where an affiliate has a challenge. So we bring all that information about, about the common issues and then help a local affiliate with, that's experiencing that problem you know, deploy that information. But then we also do bigger picture things like uh, we provide economic impact information and data on the industry as part of a partnership with uh, the National Multifamily Housing Council, uh, provide economic impact data for all 50 states, 40 local markets, Etc. So we, we do those kinds of things to help our members make the case um, at, at the state and local level. And then certainly we ask them to help us make the case at the federal level when it comes to federal issues. Very good. Is there anything else you'd like to add that maybe we didn't discuss? No, I, I, I always, I always try, to, try to emphasize the point whenever I have an opportunity about that grassroots involvement. Everybody who's listening to this podcast, I would assume, is, is an active member of the industry and follows the industry closely. And and I would encourage them to get involved at all levels of government in the advocacy that goes on on behalf of the apartment industry because uh, we need all that support in order to, to uh, meet our goals and keep this industry doing what it's supposed to do, which is providing uh, good housing for a third of the country. Well, thank you, Greg Brown, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Apartment Association. Ab- absolutely, Dave. I appreciate that. Thanks. I've enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for joining us. That's all the time we have today. For Axiopod, I'm Dave Sorter. Have an Axio day. Thank you for listening to Axiopod from Axiometrics.